If you would turn with me now in your Bible to Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to, um, going to begin to take a look at a passage of scripture here and probably be pretty um, deliberate at working our way through it at a fast pace here because I see that time is already getting away from us and I definitely have something I want to share with you today from the Word. In Colossians chapter 1, we're going to begin reading at verse 9 and I'll, I'm going to go through verse 21 probably, uh, but not read everything. So if you'll follow along with me, we'll try to give you some guidance as to where we're going. Paul says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask. Now what I just want us to realize today is the the Apostle Paul is saying that he and Timothy and Epaphras and some others have been in prayer about you. He's saying, we did, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord. I think all of us would like to know what the will of the Lord is for our lives. Amen. Amen. And Paul prays that they would do that, that they, they would have knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. He also goes on to say that uh, he wants them to be fully pleasing to the Lord. Did you know we can fully please the Lord? That That's really kind of doubtful there, that response. Did you know that we can fully please the Lord? Yes. We can. Absolutely we can. If we surrender our lives to Him, we can please the Lord. Now, I'm going to tell you, this may shock some of you, but I kind of got a feeling sometimes it's easier to please the Lord than it is to please people. Amen. Because people are always finding fault. People are always being critical. People are always finding something to pick at. And I've just got a feeling... That that when we surrender our lives to the Lord and we pray like we're supposed to pray and and we put God first in our lives to the best of our ability and and we're really following after Him and we're praying and we're just really serving the Lord, but you know, like genuinely, really seeking God, serving Him. I've got a feeling there's times when He looks on us and He smiles and He says, "I sure am happy with you," while others around us might not be so happy with us. You know why I would feel that way? Because when I look in the scripture, I find out that there are men in the Old Testament called prophets. That God was pleased with, but the people were very displeased with the message they preached. And when I turn to the pages of the New Testament, I find out that there were apostles. Apostles that that were chosen by the Lord Jesus Christ who were walking in obedience to the Word of God and in the fellowship of the Spirit and were filled with the Spirit of God and God was pleased with them, but boy, the people sure were not. And last of all, I'll say this, that Jesus walked on this earth 
the only perfect man who's ever lived, who did everything right, and they sure enough found fault with him. Amen? So, I will submit to you that there are times when we can be walking in full and total obedience to the Lord to the best of our knowledge, and we may be pleasing the Lord, and people around us might be unhappy about us. That's okay. You know, I've come to the point in my life, after 61 years, I've come to the point in my life, I don't really care anymore about pleasing people. As long as I can please the Lord, the rest of everybody else is going to have to get over it. Amen? Amen. That's the way it is. And we have to learn to please God. We have to learn to surrender to him. And the Bible says here that Paul prayed for them that they would be fully pleasing to the Lord, that they would be fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. All of those sound like awesome things. Strengthened with might according to his glorious power. God did not call us to be weak, sickly, anemic. Christians, I'm talking about spiritually now. We don't have to go around down in the mouth, discouraged, depressed, dejected all the time about everything, do we? Because our Lord is stronger than that in us. And the Bible says that we are strengthened with might. You've heard this before, but the word there, the original word is dunamis. It's the word from which we get our word dynamite. We can be strengthened with dynamite. The Lord fills us with his spirit and we don't have to be weak, struggling, depressed, mealy-mouthed, whiny Christians all the time. Amen? Amen. And then the Bible says he, he wants to strengthen us with might according to his glorious power, which we know is unlimited. Listen to verse 13. He has delivered us. Now, I'm, I'm going to have to lay a foundation for what I really want to share with you today. And that's, that's what we're doing. We're going through this passage. We're giving context to the passage that we're looking at. And we also need to understand some things to give meaning and significance to, to what I really want to share with you. Verse 13 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and has conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Anybody here happy to be a part of the kingdom of God? Yeah. Amen. That's exciting to me. You, you are part of the best thing that's going on in the world today. The kingdom of God. And the Bible says that, that through the Son of His love, that would be Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now we're going to come back to that again. Not necessarily in that passage, but in a few verses. Talking about Jesus, the son of his love, the Bible says he is the image of the invisible God. I will say to you today, at a few weeks ago at Christmas, we were remembering. It was right over in this area. We had a stable. We had a manger. And we had a baby. And we had a communion table set up. And we, we focused on the fact that that Jesus was that promised one, the Messiah, Emmanuel, who was to come. This scripture says, For it pleased the Father that in Him, Christ, that baby, Jesus, in Him all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself, by Him, that is Christ, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. We're familiar with Jesus on the cross. And he spills, his, he spills his blood for us. Now we come to verse 21. And you. 
who once were alienated and in your mind by wicked works. And I want to stop there and talk about that just a few minutes. Think about that. The Bible says you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen? There is none righteous, no, not one. We just talked about with Eddie a moment ago how that all of us are sinners. All of us need a Savior. All of us are in need of of help and being reconciled to God, being brought back to Him. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God made Adam and Eve. He created them in, in the likeness and image of God. They were made perfect in God's eyes. When creation was over, God looked at all he had made. And he said, behold, it was very good. And God was pleased. And Adam and Eve had communion and fellowship with God. Amen? They were holy. They were, they were, they were righteous. They were in relationship with the Lord Jesus. They were just like this. Adam walked in the garden in the cool of the day and talked to God. And God talked back. They had that kind of communion. But then sin entered the picture. And it disrupted that whole picture because now Adam and Eve were now not only sinners, not only had their their nature changed because of their rebellion about what God has said, but they, remember this now, they were banished from the garden and separated from the presence of God. Anybody remember that? Boy, did things change. Where they were like this with God, now they're banished from the garden and banished from the presence of God. And then everybody that's born after that is born just that way. We're born into sin. That's me, that's you, that's Eddie, that's all of us. We are born into sin. We are, we have been separated from God. We have been alienated from God. We are not like this with God. We, we're, we're way apart from where God is. And so the Bible says in verse 21, and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. So most of us are familiar with this. I'll go back to the communion cross and the table that we had set up. We partook of the the grape juice about the blood of the Lord and the The bread, unleavened bread, the body that was broken for us, and we remember what he did for us every time we participate in communion, right? We remember that he died on a cross for us. We remember that he shed his blood for us. We remember that his body was broken for us. Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He came to this earth. He gave his life. He did what he had been assigned to do. And now God has raised him from the dead and placed him at his right hand. And there he sits today in glory and ministering and watching over us and helping us according to the Bible. So the Bible says, I, I want you, I want us to think about what had, what God has done for us. Think about it on a personal level. I was separated from God. I was alienated from God. But then Jesus came along and when I trusted in Christ, I was then reconciled to God. In effect, putting me back into the same state that Adam and Eve were in, able to have fellowship with God once again. Because now I'm not separated, alienated, 
cut apart from God, separated from him. But now I have been reconciled to him, not only me, but also you. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have been reconciled. You have been saved. You have been forgiven. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and you're on your way to heaven. Could somebody tell me amen? Amen. That's what the Lord does for us. And we've got that. We rejoice in that. We, we understand that, I think. But now I want us to understand something else. But I want to begin at verse 21 again. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind, uh, that, that, you know, the fact of the matter is we never were really, truly enemies of God. I think that's probably why it's worded that way, enemies in your mind. Sometimes you'd be messed up in your thinking. Sometimes your thinking's not right. I've called that over the years and I didn't come up with it, but I sure liked it when I heard it. Stinking thinking. Stinking thinking will get you in trouble. Amen? Sometimes we don't think right. That's why when we come to, come to the Lord and we've been living in sin, we haven't been thinking right. We, we didn't care about God. We didn't care about church. We didn't care about Jesus. We didn't want anything to do with any of it. But then somehow or another, the grace of God comes upon us in such a way that we feel the convicting power of the Son of God and the Lord removes the blinders from our eyes and the, the, the ears that were stopped and we didn't want to hear it. Now all of a sudden we have this interest in and hearing it and this interest in spiritual things, it's a work of the Spirit in our lives. We call it conviction. And if we'll respond to that and say yes, then the Lord comes into our hearts and saves us and cleanses us and writes our name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And we are reconciled to God and we're not on our way to hell anymore. Amen? That's what the Bible teaches. Now, for many people, that's the end. Thank you, Jesus. Period. They're good to go now. But but that's not what this says. Coming to the Lord Jesus and being saved is not like buying a, an insurance policy. Some people treat being saved, as a matter of fact, in some people's eyes, that's what it's all about. I come to the Lord and I pray that prayer and then I get saved and now I'm, now I'm saved. I don't have to worry about hell anymore. Whew, I'm glad that's over. And then they go back their merry way doing everything they used to do. Something wrong with that theology. And so the Bible says, yet now he has reconciled us in the body of his flesh through death. Now, look at the rest of this. Sure, he reconciled us. Sure, he died. His body of flesh died on the cross, came to death. Sure, all that is true. But then the Bible says, why did he do all that? To present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Now, I want to read that again, because this is what the Lord wants to accomplish in me. And this is what the Lord wants to accomplish in you. Not that you prayed a prayer, and now that you're on your way to heaven, but that you prayed a prayer, and now He's going to change your life. Things are not going to be like they were. That's why the Bible says that we are to be transformed. Listen, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren... That you be not, what? Conformed to this world. Christians are not to be conformed. Christians are supposed to be holy. Means separated. 
cleansed and set apart. We're supposed to be different than the world. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, a holy sacrifice, acceptable unto God. And then it goes on later in the passage and it says, it uses a different word this time. Don't be conformed to the world, but now you're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of your what? Of your mind. In other words, you had stinking thinking. You had problems in the way you thought. Now, the reason you do wrong is because you think wrong. You have the wrong things in your mind, the wrong motives, the wrong the wrong stuff in your mind. When you have stinking thinking, you do the wrong things. When you when your thinking doesn't align with the Word of God, you do things that disappoint God. So the Bible says we're not supposed to be conformed to the world and do like the world does. No, we're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Transformed comes from that word metamorpho. It's like metamorphosis. It's like you've seen the little bags hanging on trees. That inside of them there's a little caterpillar. And the caterpillar comes out. But the caterpillar is not the end, is it? It eventually comes to the point where there's a beautiful, colorful butterfly. That's a metamorphosis. A metamorphosis from being in a little bag on a tree to being in a little uh, caterpillar's body and then becoming a butterfly. Metamorphosis. That's the same thing that the Bible says is supposed to happen to us. We become transformed by the renewing of our minds. The word of God, the Bible talks about having our, having our lives and our minds sanctified by the washing of water by the word. The word of God will change the way we think. The word of God will change the way we act. So the Bible says that we were saved so that the Lord could present us holy and blameless And above reproach. Now here's something we've already talked about, but here it is again. In whose sight? What's it say? In whose sight? In his sight. Not in each other's eyes. I I have got to believe that there never has been a species on earth created as critical as human beings are. And we've already demonstrated it's going to be hard to please people. But the word says that he came to present us holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. And he wants to transform us. He wants to change us so that we're pleasing in his sight. Not necessarily so much in everybody else's sight. And then that process is done by the transformation that he wants to work in us. But then verse 20 3 says, verse 23 begins with a great big word. What is it? Could everybody say if? Do y'all know what if means? I think everybody does. If, if is not a insignificant word. If is a big word in definition. If is a big word in results. So the Bible says that sure he died, sure he gave his life for us. Sure, he um, laid down his life and became the Lamb of God for us. He did it to present us holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. 
That is, if indeed you continue in the faith, if you believe continuing in the faith is important, would you say amen? amen? If indeed you continue in the faith, and if you are grounded, and if you are steadfast, and here's what really jumped out at me, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard. Now, I know, and you know, as Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, that if is in there for a reason. Because the Bible tells us that the Lord wants us to be holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. And we can do that if, indeed, you continue in the faith. If you're grounded, if you're steadfast, and if you're not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard. What does it mean to move away from the gospel? What does it mean to move away from the gospel? I heard the word backslide. What does it mean? Some people tell us you can't move away from the gospel. Once you come to Christ, you can't move away from Christ. Once you partook of the gospel, you can't leave the gospel. But this verse teaches us that we can be holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight if we continue in the faith and if we're grounded and steadfast and if we are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which we've heard. So I want to stop just a little bit and talk to you about a doctrine that is is big in our world today, and that is the doctrine... Of once saved, always saved. Doctrine of perseverance, it's called. And other things as well. It's a Calvinistic doctrine. John Calvin is the one who popularized it and explained it and named it. And he did that in opposition to uh, another group who believed that we have free will. You see, Calvin believed, and you can look at his... Well, I don't know that he designed the the illustration that's used now, but uh, all you got to do is um, Google tulip, T-U-L-I-P, or Google the five tenets of Calvinism, and tulip will come up. The T stands for total depravity of man. The U stands for unconditional election. The L stands for limited atonement. I stands for irresistible grace. And then P stands for perseverance of the saints. Now, let me run through that teaching with you. Let's, let's not dwell too much on the, um, on the total depravity. Let's, let's move to unconditional election. That is to say that God has predetermined that some people are going to be saved and there's nothing they can do about it. And God has predetermined that some people are going to be lost and there's nothing they can do about it. Pastor Ron, do you believe that? Absolutely not. I do not. The Bible does not teach that at all. But Calvin taught that and had some followers. Predestined. Irresistible grace follows along with that. And that is to say, if God has predetermined and predestined you to be saved, 
There ain't no way you can turn the button off. You're going to be saved. You're going to go to heaven whether you want to go or not. If God has predetermined you to be saved because his grace is irresistible. And there's limited atonement, which means if you're not one of the ones who was elected, you can beg and cry and plead with God all you want to. But if you're not one of the chosen elect, the atonement won't cover you. That's kind of a sad doctrine, isn't it? And then finally, it ends up with perseverance of the saints. Because obviously, if God has predetermined you to be saved, and you ain't got no choice, then you're obviously going to go Forever and be with the Lord. Nothing anybody can do about it. That's the doctrine of perseverance. Now, I do not believe that. The most of you who are in this room tonight don't believe that either. This morning. But I'm going to take now the doctrine of perseverance or the subject of once saved, always saved. And I'm going to explain it to you in a way that I hope it helps us get it understand what that means. And I've asked the deacons to help me. They don't know what they're going to do. They just agreed to help. They're men of faith. Tim, if you would come. And I'm going to ask Tim to come and stand right here. Tim is going to represent a Christian who believes in once saved, always saved. Now, I've got my arm around Tim for a reason, because part of this illustration is, if you were to ask me, Pastor Ron, do you believe in once saved, always saved? You know what I'm going to say? I'm probably going to say, well, I believe that anybody who comes to the Lord Jesus Christ and serves God and commits their life to Him and does what they're supposed to do, they don't have to worry about their eternal security. They're going to be with the Lord. I believe that. Don't you? Did you hear what I said? Somebody who loves the Lord, somebody who's committed to Him, somebody who has uh, uh, relinquished their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and has repented of their sins. I believe I'm eternally secure as long as I do those things that verse said to do it. As long as I continue in the faith, as long as I'm rooted and grounded and keep doing what the Bible says do and never moved away from the gospel. Amen? In that case, if I'm going to be faithful to the Lord Jesus, I believe once saved, always saved. If I'm faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. You get what I'm saying? If I'm going to be faithful to the Lord and love Him and be faithful to Him, I don't have to worry about my eternal destiny. God's got that. I'm a child of God. Living in in in, um, agreement with what the Word teaches and what the Word says. So... He's, Tim is the, the guy standing here that would represent most of us. That is to say, well, yeah, I'm, I, I don't go to bed at night worrying about whether I'm saved or not. I'm, I've surrendered my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I'm on my way to heaven. Praise God. Anybody know that peace? Isn't that a wonderful thing? So I believe I'm once saved, always saved. Cause I'm on, I'm, I'm gonna be grounded. I'm gonna be committed. I'm going to be faithful. I have given my life to Jesus for the long haul. Amen? Amen. Ronnie Rose, I hate to do this to you. But Ronnie's going to, re- Ronnie's going to represent the other side. Now, Nello, all I'm about to say is just pretend. Okay? 
Ronnie, on the other hand, represents another kind of person who perhaps has attended a revival service, gone to church, may even be a faithful church attender, but has, um, at some point in his life, he's prayed a prayer, Lord, please forgive me, I'm a sinner, and gone from that point under the same assumption that Tim did when he came to the Lord. The only difference is Tim got rooted and grounded and kept being faithful to the Lord. And Ronnie, bless his heart. Before, before Ronnie got saved, he was an adulterer. Yeah, a liar. Um, a thief. And then he came to the Lord and, and said, Lord, please forgive me. Felt pretty good about that decision. But here 10 years later, 15 years later, 20 years later, you know what? He's still committing adultery. He's still lying. And he's still a thief. I'm going to tell you. As a pastor, if I tell that man he's on his way to heaven and right with God, I'm going to answer one God to God one day for telling him a lie. He's not all right with God. The Bible says that all liars will have their place in the lake of fire. That there would be no adulterers in heaven. And a person who is continually sinning is not a Christian. A Christian means Christ-like. You can't be Christ-like and continually sinning at the same time. And the Bible says if we are going to um, have the assurance that we're going to be with the Lord and all that He has for us, that we're going to have to first accept Him as Lord and Savior in our lives. And then we're going to have to continue to walk in obedience. I didn't say perfection. I said obedience. And we're going to have to continually trust in Him. And that is when we do falter and we fail. And we do perhaps sin somewhere along the way. We have to do again what we did in the beginning. And that's go to the Lord and say, Lord, please forgive me. I blew it. Do you think it a strange thing when the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray? Part of the Lord's prayer that he taught them to pray was, and forgive us our sins. Incidentally, the prayer was a daily prayer. Because he said, part of the prayer should be, give us this day our daily bread. And part of the same prayer was, forgive us our sins. As we forgive those who, yeah, that part too. Not only Lord forgive me, but I'm going to forgive others. Right? How conveniently we forget portions of the word that we don't really want to adhere to. But you know what? It's it's not our job to pick and choose which parts we agree with and which parts we like. The Bible says that if he's going to present us holy and blameless before the Lord... He'll do that if we'll be faithful to him. If, if we'll be steadfast, if we'll be grounded, if we'll be rooted. And listen now, not turn away from the gospel.
This man over here believes he's once saved, always saved. You know what? If he's living for God and committed to the Lord, that works for him. Because he's doing what he's supposed to do. No, you don't go through life worried about whether you're saved or not. Not if you walk in obedience to the Lord. His spirit bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. That's not what we're talking about. But you know and I know there's people out here in the world today who haven't been to church in 15 years. Living like the devil and they think they're right with God because some preacher told them that you're once saved, you're always saved. Thank you guys. I hope we've made the point there. The first church I pastored, this has been near 40 years ago now. I went to the hospital because there was a man in our church who was dying with cancer. And when I say he was dying, he was dying. He was screaming. He Things have progressed so much in the last few years, folks. But this man was out of his mind almost with pain. And he was screaming. And you could come down the hallway and hear him screaming in pain. He loved the Lord. He was a precious, sweet man. Brother Schaefer. Oh, I love that man. And as he was dying there in that hospital room. And we knew he didn't have long left. And he he basically had no family that I knew of. Never had met any family members, never had heard about any family members. Well, as it turns out, as he's lying there dying in his last hours in the hospital, the hospital was able to dig up some information on his family, and they found two children, a son and a daughter. This son and daughter came to the hospital while he was there. I don't know how long it had been since he'd seen him or heard from him. And my brother was lying in bed. Moaning and screaming in pain, obviously dying. The son stood on one side of the bed. The daughter stood on the other side of the bed. And they cursed each other and literally got into a fist fight at each other, swinging and slugging and pulling over the bed of their dad who was dying. Well, I was a new pastor and it broke my heart and I thought, boy, these people need the Lord. And so I decided what I'll do is I'll take this lady down to the cafeteria and and buy her lunch. And I'll have a chance to get a little bit acquainted with her so I can at least talk to her about her soul. And so we went down and we got lunch and sat down and I began to talk to her. And I, I asked her if she had ever known Jesus. If is or Could you tell me about your background? Oh, you pastor, you don't have to. She knew where I was going. She said, you don't have to worry about me. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, I was baptized when I was 12. And she thought because she was baptized when she was 12, she could live like the devil for the next 40 years. And it wouldn't make a difference. Because she was saved. Because once saved, always saved. And her soul was eternally secure. Now, I'm going to make a statement that somebody may get offended. But if that happens, just forgive me. I'll be happy to talk to you about it as long as you want to talk about it. Just give me a call. But I have long believed that there very very well may be more people in hell over that doctrine, once saved, always saved, than anything I can think of. People who believe they're right with God 
because some preacher told him that once you prayed that prayer, you were eternally secure. I want to tell you, you can pray that prayer 5,000 times and not mean it and it not make a difference in your life and your life will neither be conformed nor transformed. And the Lord calls us to walk in obedience to Him and do His Word. It is more than a prayer. It is a lifestyle that we're going to live when we commit our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. So don't go out of here and say, Pastor Ron said, I'm supposed to doubt my salvation. No, I'm not. If you go over here and live like I was portraying Tim to live and being fully committed to the Lord and going to church and being faithful and reading your Bible, you can, you can go to bed at night and be confident you're right with God. But if you're not walking in obedience and you're doing things like adultery and lying and, and, and all these other things, I pray My prayer for you is that the Holy Spirit of God will move upon you and convict your heart. Because if he does it, you're going to be eternally lost. Once saved, always saved. In that context in which I've shared it today is something that we need to understand. In closing, I'm going to read you the words of John Wesley. How many have heard of John Wesley? John Wesley was a great theologian, the founder of the Methodist Church, preached and and studied, written many, many, many books, and a man you just can't touch his life. I'm about to read you his words. These are not Pastor Ron's words. These are John Wesley's words about Calvinism. I hope you are familiar enough with the scripture that this connects with you. Because John Wesley is going to quote scripture after scripture or phrases of scripture after phrase after phrase after phrase after phrase. Where we're warned in the Bible, where we're told in the Bible that certain things can happen if we're not obedient. I'd like for you to listen to what he says. John Wesley says, Calvinists who deny that salvation can ever be lost reason on the subject in a marvelous way. They tell us that no virgin's lamp can go out. If that connects with anybody, you understand what he's saying, would you raise your hand? There was a parable of the virgins, right? Five were wise, five were foolish. Five foolish virgins had no oil for their lamps. Their lamps went out. They weren't allowed to go into the wedding. The point being, you have to be ready. He's he's using the words of Christ and others to make this point. He says, the Calvinists, they tell us that no virgin's lamp can go out. No promising harvest can be choked with thorns. No branch in Christ can ever be cut off from unfruitfulness. No pardon can ever be forfeited. And no name blotted out of God's book. They insist that no salt can ever lose its savor. Nobody can ever receive the grace of God in vain. Or bury his talents. Or neglect such great salvation. Or trifle away a day of grace. Or look back after putting his hand to the gospel plow. You all get the point? 
We're warned and warned and warned and warned not to do these things. But yet Calvinism would say we can't do those things. Nobody can grieve the spirit till he is quenched and strives no more. Or deny the Lord that brought them. Or bring upon themselves swift destruction. Nobody or body of believers can ever get so lukewarm that Jesus would spew them out of his mouth. He says they use reams of paper to argue that if one ever got lost, he was never found. That if one falls, he never stood. If one was ever cast forth, he was never in. Or even if one withered, he was never green. And that if any man draws back, it proves that he never had anything to draw back from. That if if one ever falls away into spiritual darkness, he was never enlightened. That if you again get tangled in the pollutions of the world, it shows that you never escaped to begin with. That if you put salvation away, you never had it to put away. And if you make shipwreck of faith, there was no ship of faith there. In short, they say, if you get it, you can't lose it. And if you lose it, you never had it. May God save us from accepting a doctrine that must be defended by such fallacious reasoning, John Wesley says. One illustration before we quit. I've got in my pocket a wallet. Pastor Ron, do you believe that we can lose our salvation? No, I don't. I do not. How many have ever lost a wallet or lost your keys? Listen, if I'm walking down the road and I slide my wallet in my pocket, but I missed and I go for several hours or maybe a hundred miles and then I wonder where in the world my wallet is. I've lost my wallet, right? Yeah, I've lost my wallet. I don't know where it is. That's not going to happen to you with salvation. You're not going to lose your wallet. Here's what happens if you, if you get away from your salvation. You deliberately toss it aside and go somewhere else. There's nothing in it, don't worry. I'm serious, that's an empty wallet. That's the reason I bought it with me. I got my other one in this pocket. Do you get the point? There's a difference in losing something and abandoning something. Right. Is that right? Now, a lot of people abandon their salvation. But listen, if you can come to Jesus because you have free will and you freely, you freely come to him, then it stands to reason that if you decide you want to, you can freely leave. Right. Because God gives us free will. You say, well, who in the world would ever do such a thing? People who get their minds off the Lord and they get blinded by sin... And then they say, this is more important to me than God is. And they just toss God away and go pursue the lifestyle that they feel so excited about and so committed to. It's happened millions of times.
The answer is in the title of that sermon. And this is a scripture a little bit later in the next chapter. Where in verse 27 of chapter 1. It says, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Which is, and here's the words, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ not a thousand miles away. Christ not out of earshot, but Christ in you. You see what that's saying? Christ in you, close by, in fellowship with Him. I'd like for you to stand with me. We're going to sing this song. And I would suggest to you that if any of us here, for whatever reason, if it's for any need that you have, a healing of your body, healing of your marriage, healing of your soul, you want to come surrender your life to the Lord Jesus. Like the old hymn would say, you want to come home, you want to get back in full fellowship with the Lord, that's what His will is for you today. Respond in kind as we sing this together. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou Oh,
to read one passage before we close in prayer. The Bible says, as Jesus was speaking, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, please listen carefully in light of this sermon today. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. These are the words of Jesus, by the way. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I want to share with you today, it doesn't matter if you're a pastor. If you're an adulterer, you're in trouble with God. Amen. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor. If you're a liar, you're in trouble with God. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor. If you won't forgive your brother, you're in trouble with God. We're held under no different standard than what anybody else is in that regard. Pastors can't sin and get away with it. That's right. Neither can any of the rest of us. We have to repent. We have to go before the Lord. I'd like for our deacons and pastors and anyone who would like to together, we're going to pray today for Sister Ollie who has come and has a need. And God is able to minister to a need, isn't he? If you also have a need... Would you just lift your hand and, and just, just say to the Lord, Lord, I've got a need. I know it. I need your help. And as we pray this prayer, pray that the Lord would minister. Sister Ollie, did you want to be anointed? Eyes. In James chapter 5, the Bible says, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, anointing with oil. Let them lay hands on that one who is sick, anoint with oil, and pray a prayer of faith. Okay. tell people often, Sister Ollie, when I pray with them in the hospitals, and you know this, you've probably heard me say it, that you belong to God. You're a child of God. And God is going to take care of what belongs to him. And I believe that today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in obedience to your word, we anoint with oil today 
A simple act of obedience is all we're doing. And then we're laying hands on our sister. Oh Lord, I pray that you would minister to her mind and to her heart. Your word teaches us that you have not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. Lord, I come against the enemy's attacks upon her today. Oh Lord, to bring doubt and fear. We rebuke that spirit in Jesus' name. And Lord, we take authority over that and we claim the peace of God that is rightfully always as a child of God. Your word says that you give us a peace that passeth all understanding. Your word is true. Hallelujah. Let the blood of Jesus do its work, Lord, in Sister Ollie's life. Minister to her today a special portion of your spirit that produces peace and comfort and assurance in her heart. Oh, Lord, you're going to take care of this. We believe it with all of our hearts. It's in your hands. You're going to protect that that you love today. And we give you praise, Lord. May your kingdom come perfectly. And may your will be done in Ollie's life. In Jesus' name we ask. Have your way, Lord Jesus. Blessed be your name. Yes, Lord, you hear these prayers and you see these tears. And you're a God that's going to minister to this need. We are confident of it. In the precious name of Jesus. Blessed be you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let your Holy Spirit minister to our sister today. Blessed be your name. Thank you, Lord, for your presence, your peace, your touch, for what you're doing right now. Complete the work that you've begun. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Blessed be you thank you for being here today yes any of those of you who are here who would like a copy of that reading of john wesley um, there's copies on the table out front you're welcome to grab one 
It has scripture references for every one of those items that he mentioned there. I just didn't read those. You're welcome to those. Give somebody a handshake and a hug.